0: You're listening to Waffle, the bite-sized podcast with Paul Jenkins. And this episode is episode number 17 with the fantastic Ian McMillan, which was originally broadcast on Rossendale Radio on the 22nd of December 2019. So, good afternoon everybody, welcome to the Waffle Hour, it's Paul Jenkins here on 104.7 Rossendale Radio and I am at the People's History Museum in Manchester and I'm joined by a poet and raconteur and author and a million other things, huh. uh, Ian McMillan. Good afternoon.
1: Hello and welcome to the People's History Museum, which I can tell you, as a person, is a great museum but it's so hard to find. It,
0: it is a little bit, I've wandered quite a lot this morning.
1: I was wandering lonely as <laughs> a cloud, Damn. <laughs> different alleys the sat nav at one point just said look it's up to you mate we're, we're out we've had it we're out of here i used to chap who we said for directions he was wearing a because we're in spinning fields we are in of course Manchester, and he had this jacket on and he said he said he said something like ask me i suppose the people's history museum and he went it was like a weather vane. yeah he pointed that way then he pointed that way then he pointed that way then he more or less said what the sat you're on your
0: own. Yeah, mine, mine took me around in circles and then just announced you're here. And I looked and, um, yeah, bizarrely, it was behind yeah, me. Was. So, <laughs> uh, so w- w- why is it we've, we're here? What's the what's the reason for uh, arriving at this particular well, we're museum part today?
1: A, it's going to be the grand unfurling mm-hmm. of these banners that myself and the wonderful photographer Ian Beasley and the great cartoonist Tony Husband have been involved in creating with groups of people who live with dementia mm. all across the country. And it started off with an idea. We were working in Exeter university. And the idea was, can you use art and poetry and photography to actually research how people live with dementia? And to be honest, there's been a bit of skepticism about that. But mm-hmm. we, well, with each of the groups, we would write poems with them. We'd do cartoons with them. We'd make little books with them. We'd do exhibitions with them. And it does seem to work in a quantifiable way. And then Ian Beasley hit on the idea of doing banners, Mm. because the banner is a perfect mixture of art and narrative and language. And they've been used over the years for protests. The first one we did was one in Yorkshire with a group in York who were thinking about the fact that if you're trying to get on a train and you've got dementia, it's even harder than it is for people who haven't got dementia. So we made a protest banner about that, saying that we want the right to a grand day out. Which is a great thing, and, <laughs> and that's so. All the banners that we've done all over mm. Britain. The culmination is today, the sixteenth of December, with this amazing unfurling.
0: And they're, they're, they're in style-wise because obviously we've got to be quite descriptive being on mm. radio, and they're, they're very much the kind of style of a, a sort of a union banner or yes. a, 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 some of the mining community banners you might, mm. may see on a on a march. Um, it's it's very much of that kind of sort of pro, as you say, sort of protest style.
1: They're based on that idea. of mm. The miners, the protest banner, so. And I didn't realise they often follow an interesting template. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a central image, you'll have things down the side that are germane to the central thing. You'll have a very small bit of text here. Right. And another couple of bits of text. So, as a text kind of person, it's been really interesting to think how do you make these little bits of text because the main thing is the visuals, but you ally them with the text somehow so yes they are they're strikingly visual with one central image so for example, the one about allotments, which was one that we did down in Exeter, the central image is there fantastic allotment shed with a scarecrow we've done a positive and a negative image so in the positive image the scarecrow is having a great time in the negative <laughs> image he's a bit like the scarecrow out a wizard of oz <laughs> right. he's, he's collapsing <laughs> and so and it's, it's just it's meant meant to catch your eye it's meant to make you think what is that about so yeah they're, they're a fascinating thing i love the fact that there's militant
0: allotment people out there that, 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 that well, are that are you know really clearly passionate about
1: you know land
0: and ownership and growth and
1: well, they Those they're still pretty passionate about. They are. They're passionate about their allotment and also about the way that their allotment brings them together as people who live with dementia. Mm-hmm. And the very simple metaphor of growth mm-hmm. and changing seasons, and here's time moving around. Mm-hmm. The sad thing about working with people with dementia is that you lose some of them. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't lose them physically, but you lose them mentally. And that's the sad thing because of the turning of the seasons. But... Their allotment just seems to be to be a perfect kind of nexus of physical work and mental stimulation. So yeah, that kind of thing. Militant allotmentiers, most definitely. (laughs) In fact, what they they used to tell us these great stories about. You know, they'd throw naff carrots into the next person's allotment. Oh, right. Because, <laughs> I see you've been growing some naff carrots, not <laughs> me. <laughs> yes, actually, it was us. So that kind of thing, so yeah, there is a bit... Kind of, of banter between... There is It's vegetable-based banter, <laughs> which is probably the best sort. <laughs> did, did you find
0: that... Um, obviously, it must be a challenge working with groups that that, that are suffering from dementia because mm. of you know, kind of the, the, the growth of the, of, of the project. If, yes. you're, if you're developing a project and coming back to it from a previous session, is that was that a challenge? Were there, were there people working with you to, to sort of guide people a little bit back to, you know, kind of recapping a lot? Is
1: You do a lot of that. Mm. What you'll get is, uh, say, the Oldham group, which is one that we've worked with the longest, you'll get couples coming. So you'll get the husband and the wife, and the husband has got dementia, and the wife is both the wife and the carer. Mm. And the wife will, as you say, remind them of what's been happening before. Mm. And, uh, But what they mainly come along for, to be honest with you, in the olden group is laughter. As you know, I'm a big <clears> fan <throat> of laughter. And our laughter just makes you feel good. And so they'll come along, we'll have a laugh. Mm. And then we first started, I said, So, we all sat around, I said, Well, do you know, I had a fantastic pork pie at the weekend. <coughs> what's the olden delicacy? And they went, Rag pudding. Rag pudding? We went, Rag pudding. <laughs> What's rag pudding? They went, well, obviously you make a pudding in a rag. Of course. I said, yes. And they said, you make, he said, what? So it's like a, I've heard of suet puddings. So it's like a boiled thing. Yeah, like a boiled thing. They said, yeah, but we do it. We make make sweet puddings in rags. Mm. Sweet puddings in rags. So then we became the ragamuffins. That was our group. And so they brought along the next week, they brought along (laughs) rag puddings. We made, we talked about rag puddings. That became a kind of an open door, a conduit Mm. into personal and cultural history. We then said, look, we're making art here. So actually, why (laughs) don't we be... We we, we can't just be the -er ragamuffins. They said, yeah, we want to be the rag-art muffins. Oh, here we go. The rag-art muffins. And then we talked about memory loss and how you remember things. And one of our members at Oldham, who was the ex-chief constable, our chief inspector of police in Manchester, he said, well, the reason I, I remember my phone number is I just think about the number and he wrote a poem. So, for example, say his number was 85126. He'd go, I used to get up at eight, but now I get up at five. And he just wrote this amazing rhyming poem. The mainly, we just sit around, we have a laugh, we talk about memory, but we, we make things about the things that they're excited about. And you do have to kind of try and remember things the week after, but sometimes you don't. And to be honest, it don't matter. It, 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 it uh,
0: Having seen the banners now, and the the, the grand unfurling is, is yeah. happening later, and I think you've got a poem about yeah, the unfurling. the unfurling, yes, uh, right. and what we'll do is we'll, we'll share that in the second part yeah, of, the, of the of the of the interview, if that's all right. Uh, but right now, we're gonna we're gonna break for some music. Uh, and your first choice of music was a Simon and Garfunkel track.
1: Yeah, it's uh, America. Just because I went to America when I was about twenty on a Greyhound bus, mm. and this song has always been about that. And also, I love the line the moon rose over an open field. And I think if you look at that line, the O's in moon rose over and open, follow the moon across that field. And you think, goodness me, that's (laughs) a great song. So when you listen to it, follow the moon.
0: Batter the literal and the visual at the same time. Definitely. Fantastic. This is Simon and Garfunkel. You join me back at the People's History Museum on 104.7 Rossendale Radio and I'm joined here by Ian McMillan who's uh, going to share uh, one of the poems from today's Unfurling
1: of the Banners. This is our poem uh, about unfurling because the the word is such a great word, unfurl. It is onomatopoeic and whatever the visual version of onomatopoeic is, (laughs) onomatoseic, I suppose, which I've just thought of because (laughs) actually the word seems to unfurl. The word seems to unfurl. A bit like when we talked about Simon and Garfunkel and the moon rose over an open field. The word itself seems to unfurl. So I just wrote this poem called The Unfurling. Let us celebrate the gradual opening of a banner taking its place in the world, a long unravelling and a fine unwinding, like a flower unwrapping itself from itself, a parcel of thinking softly untying, or an origami of ideas hugely unfolding as caught by the breeze, image and language spread their twin messages into the air. And really with that poem, I just, I'm a big fan of the ing word.
0: There was, I was just about to pick oh, up on the it. Was a, there was a whole series of them in a row. Yeah, I think it was unwrapping, it, was it unwinding and unwrapping yeah. and unraveling and it's, it just.
1: It's just a great thing is it ing because um. it, I don't know what the grammatical term for it is, but it moves the thing along. it go, It's a doing word, isn't mm. it? It goes ding, and it just makes it go. And then I thought, I was trying to think how to do this properly. And I thought, well, the simple way to do it would have been to end with more ings. But I thought, no, I'll just, I'll just leave it there. I'm have the twoings in the last two lines because as you know the temptation when you're working on this kind of project is because these are poems that are going to be read and listened to by people who don't read a lot of poems mm. you have to be populist you have to be simple mm. and you can often do rhyme and rhythm which are great things as you know i love rhyme and rhythm but then You've also got to think, well, sometimes you don't have to know that. So that's what I did with that one. And we've, we've used that one whenever we've unfurled these poems all over the place. Yeah. We've done a kind of unfurling. Yeah. I've, I've unfurled my poem, yeah, which is good. I yeah. do enjoy doing it.
0: It's something I've, I've noticed from working before, because I've worked with you in different contexts. Yeah, we have all over the place. Uh, in, w- w- Either with adult audiences or, mm. or with children. Yes. And I've noticed, actually, that the, the style that you approach mm. with both, the, the, the language is different. But you don't appear to change as a performer. No, no, is think... that is that something that working with wide audiences is that something that
1: you've made a conscious decision to do, or is it? It is. I've been a conscious decision, and what what that means is that sometimes any subtlety or nuance that I might have had have been kind of chipped away. Because as you know, when you're working in front of an audience that isn't that bothered about poetry, that hasn't come for poetry, mm. that has not written a poem. You have to be, I don't like the phrase, lowest common denominator, you have to be kind of, the playing field has to be level. Mm. So you have to approach it, in my case, with comedy, with with physicalness, with a kind of broad brushstroke that always makes people think, well, I can do this. I can have a go at that. So yeah, I don't change. I just present me as me. I'm a kind of enthusiast in residence. That's what I am in my job. I always <laughs> think of it's like to enthuse people. I always want people who look at me and listen to me think, well, I can have a go at that. I can write a poem, I can do that. And as you know, that's always been my thing. Everybody can have a go. Although, as I always say, yeah. if we all have a go, which we believe, when do you get time to read it? <laughs> that is the thing that gets me, you know. I for, for years, I've said to people, you can write poems. And that means they come along and they give you the poems. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the poems, have a poem, have a book, have a three volume. The best it's- of these I ever got was, I was in my house, Somebody knocked on the door, and on the door, this fella said, my dad translates Greek poetry, <laughs> epic Greek poetry, into Yorkshire dialect. I said, great. He it's said, quite long. He just, I said, can I show, do you want to look at some? Mm. I said, all right, I will. He said, he's outside in he <laughs> he said, He said, this wonderful phrase, he said, he's bent over like a question mark. <laughs> I said, all right. He said, would you like to look at him? I said, yeah. I said, oh, I'll, come and, I'll come and say hello. I said, all right. Mm. So I went down the bottom of the drive, and there he is. He's in the car and he's bent over like a question mark. This old fella. this bloke banged on the car roof. We bang, bang, bang. He said, Dad, they'll have a look at him. And I said, So I leaned in. I said, Yeah. And this fella, this old fella, he didn't look at me, but his hand came out of car like that with his bag of poems. He was bent over like a question mark. I said, Look, with the best will in the world, I'm the busiest man in Barnsley. It might take a while for me to read this. He went, well, Just take them. Just take them away. Take them. <laughs> so then. This is probably five years ago. And um, me and my wife were cleaning out the, what I call the book room, which means it's full of books that people are given me. Yeah. And we found them. Oh, oh. But actually, all he wanted to do was give them me. So I thought, in the end, I will read them one day. But it is a problem, the slipstream. Everybody can write, write okay, let's find time to read them. Uh,
0: but the thing is, I mean, I, I remember quite clearly, and I, I don't know, this was probably a glancing moment in mm. in... in, in our time had known each other we were up in sunderland together and they'd yeah. accidentally put me on the on the fire list for when you have to es- evacuate the building right. and they'd accidentally put me down as paul the poet and this was before i'd started writing for audiences and i told you about it and you yeah. went well that's perfectly justifiable that's all right why are you not the poet as well yeah and that get, that's a massive moment for me oh, because true, i was true. like i've been I've, it, was a, it was a sense of validation at the time mm. and i think that that kind of connection for people that are you know uh, working in the industry, and it's, mm. it's really important. I think you should. I think you should always
1: encourage people. I'm here because I've always been encouraged. People encouraged me as a young man, as a child, as a teenager. I've always been encouraged. So I always encourage people, you know, and and, and it, because we get discouraged all the time. People discourage you all the time. Yeah, don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. It's not a proper job. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> what are you doing that for? Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. So I just think if you just do that, just go and do that. You can do that. It just encourages people. And I think encouragement is just the greatest thing. You know, I encourage people all the time. How did you get started? What was
0: it, was it uh, as a young man, you you suddenly thought this is it, I I need to write or I need to perform or?
1: it it just, it came to me at school Mm. because I was born in Darfield, Barnsley, where I still live. And I was born in 1956. So in the 50s, 60s and 70s, Darfield was part of the West Riding of Yorkshire which was an education authority run by this godlike genius, who I talk about all the time, called Sir Alec Clegg, who just said, everybody is creative. His Mm. thing was encouragement. So at school, we just wrote poems. Mm. Wrote poems all the time, sang, danced, made paintings. And they said, you can do it, everybody can do this. You can do this, Ian, all the time. So I thought, I want to be a writer, Mm. I want to be a poet. My mum and dad encouraged me, and I'd write poems, and I'd send them off to magazines. Mm. And at the same time, I've always had this ability to perform. Mm. And for years, I always thought they were separate things. I thought he wrote, he performed. He wrote there, he performed there. And then you kind of, they kind of, ooh, they got together. Mm. Partly because uh, I like to go into folk clubs and stand up and read poems, mm. and you have to try and command the audience, and then. Rotherham, this is in the days when the council had a lot of money and they would put you into a school. So they rang me and said, would you like to go into a school? I thought, well, all right. (laughs) And it was terrible. I was was the worst. It was was awful in these schools in Rotherham. And then I thought, actually, that's because I'm trying to read out the stuff that I'm writing and I'm not trying to do the stand-up stuff. And so that's when I gradually got them together, which is kind of what I said earlier about, you know, knocking the edges off of the subtle stuff. I was writing subtle stuff, which is fine on the page, Mm. but I was having to perform the stuff that wasn't subtle just to get their attention. So maybe the poems like the unfurling ones and the, these kind of things that I'm writing now are maybe a mixture of the two where it's partly performance and partly on the page. So that's what got me started, just being encouraged and going. having the, the geographical look. To be born in Darfield and not three miles down the road in Barnsley, which wasn't part of the West Riding, so I wouldn't have had that encouragement, I guess. So it's, yeah. it's that. It's just luck. It, it's.
0: I, I think it's. Uh, it's really important. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, in a while about about particularly about kids and reading mm-hmm. for pleasure and picking up books, uh, yes. and about sort of how we can sort of encourage kids to do that. Yeah. Um, we're going to we're going to take another break for, for some music. Uh, and uh, your your second choice uh, is uh, is Jerry Rafferty.
1: Oh, it's Baker Street by Jerry Rafty Partly because it's just it's just a great tune and that guitar solo and it just takes me back to when i was at college at north staffordshire polytechnic and me and my <coughs> mate dave thorpe would sit in his room and we would put it on and we'd we... this is 1975 and so they you know there was lots of things in the air mm. kinda. a lot of our teachers at the poly had, had been uh, on the barricades in 1968 in paris and we'd sit there and we would go just listen to that guitar solo and i think it exemplifies the entire Western philosophical thought. <laughs> and we go, yes, it does. And it encompasses. Jerry Rafferty did all, all that in, in
0: four minutes. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs>
1: it encompasses East European thought <laughs> and it encompasses Buddhism. And we go, yes, it does. And then the, the person at the next room would bang on the window and bang on the weird wall and go, turn that rubbish on. <laughs> <up." laughs> so, anyway, this, this track encompasses the whole of philosophical thought.
0: There you go. We're taking you back to the mid 70s. <laughs> it's Jerry Rafferty. You join us back here at the People's History Museum. Uh, my name's Paul Jenkins. This is 104.7 Rossendale Radio. And this is the last part of our interview with uh, Ian McMillan. Uh, and uh, we've, been, we've been having a chat uh, after uh, while while Jerry Rafferty's been playing, uh, about um, uh, well particularly about books and about the, that kind of engagement with books, uh, particularly with Reading for Pleasure. Um, it, how, how do you think... We, we, what, what do you think we can do in terms of just that encouragement of books? And why is it so important? to engage younger readers?
1: I think for a start, we should show younger people that we love reading for pleasure too, that reading is the greatest thing. You know, people have said to me, what's your hobbies? And I think, well, actually, my hobbies like my job. <laughs> my hobbies reading. I just love reading. I, I, and reading with depth and enjoyment, because as you know, I'm a big fan of Twitter. Mm. I'm a big fan of the kind of uh, Skimming stone thing of the internet, you know, so you bounce from this to that, to that, to that. And you don't stay very long with something. But the pleasure of reading is to see. it's the, it's the difference between having a shower and having a bath. Yeah. You know, you have a shower, you can go, oh, I'm invigorated. You have a bath, you think, oh, I think I'll stay in here a bit longer. That word, just, uh, The word immersive is springing it's to immersive. mind. It is immersive. So I would, I would, if we are going to encourage young people to read, they should see that we read. So when we read, when they read, we should read with them. So my grandchildren, I'll sit and I'll read to them, but then I'll read with them. Mm. And so Isla, my four-year-old the other day, she was reading a book. She can't read to a great extent, but she was reading me a book. And I said, well, I'm reading a book as well. So we read this book. We read two different books. Mm. We sat on the settee reading two different books. My youngest grandchild, Noah, he loves The Night Before Christmas. And he's learnt it off by heart. And it's interesting, because some of it with him is a kind of Gaelic mouth music, So he doesn't quite know what he's saying. The moon (laughs) has brought the glister of snow, and he's he's doing all that, and he's doing it. But that's him reading for pleasure. And he'll get hold of the book, and he knows that somehow, these hieroglyphs on the page mean words, Mm. and mean language, and mean meaning. And he'll read it out, and I just find that such a moving moment. I have to turn to my wife and say, look, can I just go out the room because I'm going to start blubbering because it's just a great thing. If we can show that we're excited by reading too and about that thing of picking up a book and opening the book and getting to the page you were at before and it kind of reminding you where you were and just taking your time through it. My oldest grandchild, uh, Thomas, he's 15 and he's been at that interesting age where as a child he loved books then he went off him a bit and he kind of... Do you think there is away. a drop-off? I've, I've spoken no, to a is. lot
0: of secondary yeah. teachers who've found that sort of in year seven and eight that the kids sort of, they tend to read the same things they were reading at year six mm. and there's, there does seem to be, maybe it's a development thing.
1: It is, he dropped off yeah. and he was reading, before that he was reading the things like Diary of a Wimpy Kid mm-hmm. and he was really into that and then he, would, he dropped off. He read some comics, he read mm. some graphic novels and then he kind of dropped away He would read a lot of, he was into sport, so he'd read a lot of football and cricket magazines, which is fine, that's still reading. And then he's come back into it, he's 15, through the young adult science fiction route. Mm -hmm. And he started reading those things that I could never quite read, which was the latest science fiction (laughs) tetralogy. There are nine books in this sequence about the planet Zurg and the Gabomna people, and you're going... Yeah, I remember seeing some Asimov
0: books on the shelf at one point or another, and they looked like doorsteps, so they were frightening in themselves. And and he
1: somehow got into that, and it it reminds me very much of when he was younger, and he'd read the Lemony Snicket books, and we used to go to bookshops, and he'd buy volume 10. And he's the same now, and he he likes... So he likes that deep immersion Mm. in books... And so he'll be, are you enjoying that new book, Thomas? Yeah, I'm on page 284. <laughs> and for him, it was often a kind of marathon, not a sprint thing, where he'd go, how many pages have you read today? But he reads them deeply, and he can talk about them. So as long as he's back in reading, that's fine. So I think the more we can encourage reading for pleasure by showing him that we enjoy reading for pleasure, and also by saying to him, actually, if you don't finish a book, it's not the end of the world. Because they often go, I've got to finish this. I've got to finish this. Yeah, I will plough through this one. Yeah, and you know, I've started... A few years ago, I thought, right, war and peace, here I come. Yeah. Come on, We've all done that. We've all tried. (laughs) I'm going (laughs) to wrestle you up to the ground, my friend. And then you go, I can't finish it. And then, you know, it doesn't matter. Tolstoy's not going to come round to your house and go, finish it. (laughs) You know, so you can start them and not finish them. As long as you ingest sentences, and as long as you like lines, And as long as you can wander about in paragraphs and have a good time in a page, you know, and take your time with a chapter, that's the great thing. Because all it all does is it goes, here's language, here's language, that's all we've got in this complex world. We have got to have language and we've got to understand language and we've got to work with language because the world is so complex. And if deep reading can give us that, which it can, then that's a great thing brilliant and do you
0: think that talking about books is important as well just you know discussing and going back and saying I've found this one this you yeah. a that, that book recommendation or, or just talking yes. about the subjects around it
1: it is talking about it with, all, with Isla with all my grandchildren with my kids when they were little talking about books is a great thing again what I find moving is that I'll be reading books with Isla and Noah and we'll get them off my shelf and it'll say Kate McMillan I think blimey that's Isla's mum that's yeah. not Noah's mum don't yeah. let me get them wrong that's Noah's <laughs> mum and then it's uh, Elizabeth Macmillan. Gosh, that's that's Isla's mum and Thomas's mum. I thought, blimey, these books, these books have stood the test of time. Noah's really into that one called The Goat and the Seven Hungry Little Kids, which is the most <laughs> amazing story about this goat who comes to the door and the mum the, and this wolf comes to the door and he eats these seven kids. Right, and they're all in his stomach, right? Like and that. they're all hungry inside the wolf. Yeah, and so then the, the mother comes back and calls for some scissors. <laughs> and the wolf open and all the kids escape and then she puts rocks inside the wolf and sews them up the wolf still thinks he's got rocks and me and Nora have to play that endlessly and, and he, so uh, for him, the books are just a, a, a start-off point to like a 12-hour improv yeah. Which is, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, encourage them, tell them and also, you can, you, with me the same, you know you can try a book and you can say try that and if they don't like it, well, try another one there's plenty, we are in a golden age Interestingly, in the internet world of mm. books, there are so many books to find new books, new children's books, new adult books. Just keep finding them. There's loads of small presses around. Keep finding them. And then, as I always say, with children and with adults, if you like it, have a go at writing your own. Just have a go. Just have a go.
0: Keep writing, keep reading, keep writing, mm. and we'll, we'll, we'll join everything up. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Great, I like, this it. I like um, and This afternoon. And we're going to finish with a very, very serious piece of yes, music. Yes, this
1: is This is, uh, is very serious. I mean, I mean
0: uh, obviously, at this time of year, we are coming up to Christmas, and I mm. think people need that kind of, uh, almost a celebratory time. So where are we going for this, this musical masterpiece?
1: We're going into our kitchen uh, about <laughs> half past one on a Sunday, and we're at our dinner, and my dad's washing up. He's got a pinion in the Macmillan <laughs> Turn and <laughs> he's watching up and he's singing Donald Wears Your Trousers <laughs> by Andy Stewart which was my dad's song and he loved it so much particularly, there's a bit in the middle where he starts impersonating Elvis Donald, and my dad would it <laughs> as yeah. well so, that's, so this is this is. It, my dad, sadly, very tragically my dad died on Christmas Day 2001 right. so when I think of Christmas I always think of my dad okay. and I don't think of it in sadness really I mean it's tragic that he went but I think of him with happiness and I laugh because I think about my dad who loved Christmas so much with his, his <laughs> Macmillan, Tartan, on singing Donald Ways of Truesers, particularly the Elvis bit. I was going to say, if you're
0: going to have a link song to to a memory of your father, I think this is possibly the, the one to bring a smile back to your face. This is a Definitely. great way to go. This is the one. Ian, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thanks Thank you very you much. Very much. Thank Here's you. Andy Stewart. And so we come to the end of another Waffle the by podcast. In fact, the very last one of 2019. Uh, My thanks obviously go to Ian McMillan for taking the time uh, to sit down in his busy schedule uh, and uh, talking to us about all things reading for pleasure, about his new exhibition, and of course, generally about his work and about what inspires him, which is fantastic. Uh, My thanks should also go, please, uh, to the staff at the People's History Museum uh, for finding us a quiet space uh, and allowing us uh, in amongst all the hubbub of of an exhibition launch to... sit down and have a chat. Uh, That, as we said, is the last Waffle the Bite Size podcast of 2019. We will be back in 2020 with even bigger and brighter things. Uh, And of course, we need to say thank you to Lee Ball and Melanie Kemp for producing Waffle the Bite Size podcast, which is put together in association with Rossendale Radio. We will see you in 2020.